1: Who then can enter the kingdom of heaven? Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Since those who are poor in spirit possess the kingdom of heaven, it's important for us to understand what being poor in spirit describes. And that description will be the subject of our time
0: here the rest of this week on Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Leighton Sheely. Hot off the heels of a series on the Bible, the fact it can be trusted and it is without error gives us a good foundation to focus in on what it means to inherit the kingdom of heaven and what being poor in spirit is really all about. Here's Pastor Layton with today's
1: broadcast of Study Verse by Verse. The kingdom of heaven is a term that's interchangeable with the kingdom of God throughout Scripture. They both refer to the same thing. The kingdom of heaven is, in fact, the thread that is woven throughout the Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible reveals God's plan to restore His kingdom and mankind. Now, the Gospels introduce Jesus as the fulfillment of the Messianic prophecy, speaking of a very special king whose reign would never end. In the Gospels, the term Basileia, which is translated kingdom, appears 144 times in reference to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Basileios, king is used directly of Jesus at least 35 times and Basileios, to reign is used in reference to Christ at least 10 times. Jesus describes his kingdom as a kingdom not of this world. It's not measured in land mass, economic wealth, or military might. Simply put, God's kingdom is wherever God is king. And God has chosen to establish his kingdom by residing in the hearts and the minds of men, women, and children. Now, some might ask, why are there four Gospels? And I would like to propose to you that each of the four Gospels describe the same Gospel account from a distinct perspective. Matthew presents Jesus as the sovereign king, whereas Mark presents him as a servant. Luke presents Jesus in his humanity as the son of man, whereas John presents him in his deity as the Son of God. The four Gospels then present us with four perspectives on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Matthew begins his gospel with a genealogy of Jesus, beginning with Abraham, continuing through King David, to Joseph, the husband of Mary. In presenting Jesus as a servant, Mark does not even provide any genealogy at all. In representing Jesus as the Son of Man, Luke traces Jesus' ancestry back to Adam, the first man. And in presenting Jesus as the Son of God and in His deity, John provides Jesus' divine lineage. When he writes, "...in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that has been made." And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No single book could have held all of the account of the life and ministry of Jesus. John the Apostle wrote in John twenty thirty, and many other signs to Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, that ye might believe in Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing He might have life through His name. Matthew begins his gospel with the introduction of Jesus' king as described by his lineage. And then in the second portion of the first chapter, he describes Jesus' virgin birth in fulfillment of Messianic prophecy. In chapter 2 of Matthew, Jesus' kingship is recognized by a visit from the Magi of the East and also by Herod's effort to assassinate a rival king. In chapter 3, Matthew writes for us the pronouncement of the arrival of the king by John the baptizer. And in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is challenged by the ruler of this present world and then begins His earthly ministry. Chapter 4, the latter part, is a generality speaking of the ministry of Christ. And the first reference to what Jesus preached is found for us in Matthew 4.17, which reads... From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, Matthew chapter 5, we're given the specifics of what Jesus preached concerning the kingdom of heaven. As one commentary writer observed, the Sermon on the Mount was the manifesto of the new monarch. In this sermon, Jesus set forth the foundational truths upon which his kingdom would be established. The principles are as revolutionary today as they were when first pronounced. They run against every fiber of fallen man, and they are as contrary to the pattern of this present world as light is to darkness. Let's face it, by human standards, such things as humility, mourning, desire for righteousness, mercy, and persecution are not the stuff of which happiness is made or measured, according to the patterns of this present world. And to those who seek righteousness with God based upon their own efforts, the Sermon on the Mount describes a level of perfection that is beyond the wildest imagination of any honest person. To The person who thinks that they are righteous because they've never murdered another person, Jesus said, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother is subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Rock, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now I ask you, who has never at some time in their life called someone else a fool or some other derogatory term? Or who in their life has never been angry with someone else? And if you've been angry, even only once, you are in danger of being judged to hell. Now to the person who thinks they are righteous for not committing adultery, Jesus said, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus said, if you've thought about it, you're as guilty as having done it. Jesus established a standard of holiness that is far beyond the ability of any natural person. So then, that brings up the question, who then can enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus answers that very question in His first statement in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Since those who are poor in spirit possess the kingdom of heaven, it's important for us to understand what being poor in spirit describes. Now, in the original Greek language, there is more than one word that is translated poor. The more common word that's translated poor in the New Testament is Pentecost, and it was used to describe the poor widow who gave her last two small copper coins at the temple. Though she was extremely poor, she had something to give. She was described as being Pentecost. Jesus did not use the word Pentecost in Matthew 5, 3. He used the word Pentecost. Now, Pentecost, poor, is from a verb meaning to shrink, cower, or cringe, as beggars often did in that day. Classical Greek used the word to refer to a person reduced to total destitution who crouched in a corner begging. Its real meaning is being devoid of any valuables, skills, strength, health, or anything with which to barter. It means being totally and completely dependent upon the mercy of another for sustenance. Now, some have interpreted this verse to mean being materially destitute, as though giving away all of the earthly possessions is the key to entering the kingdom of heaven. This is a misinterpretation of this passage. There is no direct relationship between being materially poor and spiritually poor. A person can be both, either, or neither. Many of God's greatest heroes in both the Old and New Testaments were wealthy people, Job, Abraham, Moses, Joseph, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, Philemon, all wealthy, but their wealth was not a stumbling block to their spiritual welfare. Now if Jesus had been encouraging material destitution in verse 3, he would have been contradicting himself in verse 42 when he taught us how to give aid to those who were financially uh, in need. You see, if people had followed His instruction in verse 3, they would have nothing to give to the person that He describes in verse 42. Jesus did not say, blessed are the poor. He did say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are spiritual beggars. Now, what does it mean to be a spiritual beggar? To be poor in spirit is to recognize one's spiritual poverty apart from God, It is to see oneself as one really is, lost, hopeless, and helpless. The poor in spirit are those who recognize their total spiritual destitution and their complete dependence on God. They perceive that there is no saving resources in themselves, and they can only beg for mercy and grace. Their pride is gone, their self-assurance is gone, and they stand empty-handed before God. The recognition of spiritual poverty is genuine, not an act. God stands against the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Isaiah warns the Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, they will be humbled. I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty, and I will humble the pride of the ruthless." Jeremiah wrote, "'See, I am against you, O arrogant one,' declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty, for your day has come, the time for you to be punished. The writer of Proverbs declared, "'These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that are swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren.'" The first of those seven things that is an abomination to the Lord is a proud look. Proverbs says, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Malachi said, Surely the day is coming and it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and that day that is coming will, be set, will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. Being proud is an abomination before God but not being poor in spirit.
0: Well, the scriptures are true then. Pride goes before a fall. It is the humble in spirit that find favor with God. You've been listening to Study Verse by Verse with Pastor Layton Sheely from Church of the Highlands here in San Bruno. Looking in on Matthew and what it means to be poor in spirit. We'll continue our focus on this theme over the next two programs as we close out the week. In the meantime, if you would like to learn a bit more about us, we would invite you to spend time on our website, highlands.us. That's highlands.us. And then join us tomorrow as Pastor Leighton Sheely continues in Matthew on Study Verse by Verse.